How long gone? Uh, sun is out in Los Angeles. It's Chris Black uh, coming to you live from beautiful scenic West Hollywood, uh, aka construction site. Jason, how are you? Sun is out. Freezing cold. <laughs> sun is. <laughs> it is a little. It is a little chilly. I don't know if it's Travis Scott chilly, but you know, it's not. It's not Scott worthy chilly. Yeah, I was actually. I was looking at the forecast coming up. It's not great. As a member of Old Guys Rule Mafia, <laughs> you gotta you know, do have to be checking the weather every hour on the hour. And you know, next week it's like three or four days of rain, lows in the like 35, 36, 37 degrees. And I I I almost bought a, a flight to Miami, but it didn't work out timing wise. I was like, I'm, I'm but I'm gonna go to Miami in like a week. I, I just can't handle it no more. Well here's the thing here's the thing with you that I find <laughs> interesting about your old guys rule kind of, kind of weather situation is that you always look at the low. You know, where and I and, you know I think people think of me as this curmudgeon kind of like a, a always man I always look at the high. My glass is half full. If it says it's going to be 65, I don't even care what it's at at 5.30 in the morning when I rise, old guy's rule style. Mm, so I don't. Okay. I, I think you should maybe reframe how you're looking at the weather. That's something that could help you, I think. I guess since I use weather as a, as a love language or, I don't know, I, me telling people the weather is my act of service that I give to others. And, active, okay, and I relax. <laughs> you're not in AA. Just relax, bro. <laughs> so I'm like... <laughs> Bro, if I tell them Bro. You know, it's a high of 64, everyone's going to be like, yeah, whatever. That's not really moving the needle. Or if I tell somebody it's a high of 107, I see. then they're I like, see, oh, I brother. See. So I, I swing okay, depending on I whichever see. is going to give you the best wow you're, factor. You're a, verse, you're a verse weather guy. Oh, I slide. I had a few things to talk to you about today because something that is seems to be affecting um, – the DJ community. I've seen a lot of uproar oh. on social media. I, it has, this has nothing to do with the lighting concept at Burberry? No, no, no. The, no, Burberry, I, I can't even get into that. We don't have enough time. Got it. Okay. But there, there's some CCTV of someone while DJing getting their USB stick stolen oh, yeah, straight yeah, yeah. out of... I think I think a friend of the show, DJ Lloyd, Lloydski, I think he was the one who posted it. I don't know if he was the one... Who was robbed. Was Whose stick was stooketh, but... The pro I, I saw this. So basically, there's like security footage of a, a DJ booth. Mm -hmm. The club is jumping. The lads are loving it. Up the lads, up the lads. And then there's a little beady-eyed YT people who kind of looks around a couple times and then snatches the USB and makes a run for it, which is about as low as it goes. There's vehicular manslaughter okay, so you're saying you know killing your wife and then stealing another man's usb my, my you just don't do it my question no this is absolutely over the line and i i'm glad that the dj community is up in it's arms fucked up. and i'm a little but i'm a little upset that i haven't seen kind of some of the bigger names speak out about this travesty and kind of demand justice well the bigger names on play are playing on stages so large that if somebody even <laughs> got within well, 50 I, feet of them they would be tackled let alone close enough but when i but when i when I go to Fred again's link tree and he doesn't he doesn't have a link to the GoFundMe to kind of uh, oh, I repurchase see. I see. repurchase this USB and all the white label and SoundCloud gems that were on it. My question though is that this is obviously a travesty, a crime, an affront to the DJ and creative communities. But 
who whose USB was it? Are we are are we positive there was guaranteed unreleased fire on it, or do we think this was just like a drunk up and comer having having a little fun? It, I mean, I don't know exactly because I wasn't there, but it appears that the USB <laughs> don't <laughs> don't do the Joe Budden shit. Allegedly, like, come on, I, who was it? Look, I, I, I didn't not, I did not mean to be buttoning. I, I've I don't I've never heard him talk long enough to know how to emulate his speak, but. I, I think I saw it, like I said, on, on Lloyd's Instagram and, and other people like Ellie Escobar and some other mm-hmm. people of like the New York DJ community. So it's all people who are like true DJs who okay. obviously the, the cost of the USB stick is fourteen ninety nine at Best Buy. But, you know, 20 years of, of digging and white of labels course, and of course. tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of rare records that have been you know meticulously ripped onto digital format and and all that shit and then some some punter comes up and he's got your whole shit but the problem is what are you really going to do with it if you if you are playing those songs out um you know you sort of have a scarlet well this letter on you this goes back to the 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 me holding the line on people need to get duffed out you know so i think i think people would love to duff him out they just can't find him because they're releasing a security cam footage of here's yeah, a guy yeah, who yeah. he has um he has both of his eyes t-shirt on and he wears <laughs> shirts he has both of his eyes and he wears shirts yeah. so look i mean peeled. i don't know if the, i don't know if they have police in ridgewood but if they do they're going to ca- <laughs> they're going to catch this guy god damn it's it it's not it's not so much a police <laughs> task force as it is a collection of uh well spoken social workers yeah, who yeah. can deescalate any situation yeah, we like to deescalate a cab for life okay i'm glad we cleared that up cuz i i had some other it's been a tough day but for- of course you know of course if i see this person and we properly id him not to make a dj pun but uh-huh, if uh-huh. we do get a track id on his <laughs> life id and his, and his location <laughs> then i think it's going you know, down any number yeah it'll be just like in the sopranos you take him to the back room of uh elsewhere you take him into the back room, uh, of, back elsewhere. room of elsewhere rough him up a little bit yeah you know and you hit him with they have phone books they don't make them anymore but try to find a couple of those they don't leave a bruise you know roll up okay. a bag of nickels okay. and a sock in a scion sock and start swinging it at him <laughs> Hit him upside the I'm head with a A24 sock full of nickels. That'll teach him. <laughs> Bitch, don't ever touch my USB. It's been a t- it's been a tough day as well for uh, um, not just the DJ community, but a community that I'm a part of, which is Succession Resistors. Mm. Um, and we are we are small but mighty. But unfortunately, um, GQ and Town and Country are attacking me today <laughs> with covers. Usually, it's the other way around. The guys from Succession, um, the young guy that everybody hates because he's like too serious of an actor, and then the old guy who kind of hates the the young okay. guy. So yeah, so so the dad, and then Kendall Roy, who's the main successor, and then the dad who goes fuck off, yeah. and those people are shining. <laughs> They're shining. I guess there's another season of the most popular boring TV show uh, ever to be released. But Jeremy Strong did say in this in this profile, the GQ profile, um, that he can he can sound like a jackass discussing art, and that's just who I am. Which I do I do back that because if you're gonna be a method actor who listens to ASAP Ferg to get pumped up for his scenes <laughs> on succession, then you have to know that you're a, a giant asshole. And as long as you 
are okay with that and you are are aware of that, then I, I have to let you cook. I'm a little more forgiving if he's admitting the wrongdoing. Yeah, I, I, it makes you yearn for the, the olden days where we don't get to see every shred of these people's identity and personal lives because yeah. you have this larger-than-life character that it is just, we love him, he is mother, we stand him forever, daddy, yes, daddy, yes. And then you like hear an interview or see photos of him and like, you know, it's just like he's having lunch at Lemonade and being like, you know, wearing a Palm <laughs> Angels track jacket and being like, yeah, what's up, dudes? Yeah. I was thinking about, no, it, you know, getting a Yuzu Lemonade later and just kind of whatevs. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, you're not this amazing person. No, it's true. It's true. And I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if they can keep, you know, like any other show that gets this popular, like the other show that everybody was talking about with the two gay guys, like no one cares anymore. There was like one episode where people were literally freaking out and crying and, oh, Last of and Us. saying it's the best television show. They put out three episodes since then. I haven't seen a word about it on social media. Well, I've, I've, I've heard that they, that show tricked gay people into watching it. <laughs> and now, now like the, the dust is settling and you're starting to kind of wipe the gay gunk out of your eyes and realizing Oh, this is like a zombie show about like dudes who fight the zombie. And then you're like, okay. And it's based on a video game. And then if you're a gay person, you're like, abort, abort, abort. What was I thinking? Okay, that's good. Well, as long as the gays can abandon it, then I feel even better about not ever embracing it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Succession Season 4, I guess, is coming soon. Um, and I know you'll be tuning in. Of course. Well, you, Chris, you should watch Yellowstone. It's it's Succession for you people, and everyone is fine. No, well, unfortunately, unfortunately, Succession's... I was reading in Puck today that Succession, there's a lot of drama there because Kevin Costner... Maybe it's not for you people. Kevin Costner is leaving. A little Puck joke. Yeah, Costner's leaving, but allegedly being replaced by McConaughey. I don't know if that's an equal value. Y you know, I, I'm a little... I, I, I think Costner has a little more... Uh, regalness to him even though i love mcconaughey of course how, how much uh how much regality are you looking for in a, a character who in a, in a cowboy i should say well I, I i'm under the impression that this is the lead cowboy so he's supposed to be kind of like he is mother cowboy but okay, still a cowboy nonetheless mother cowboy is is the is the <laughs> ethel kane zach bryan album coming out this this fall that's the that's the orville peck memoir <laughs> 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 okay that that makes that makes i i understand that's all our peckers out there i mean i think that mcconaughey can of course like carry the weight no problem he's a he's a great actor and a a, a beloved member of of sag but i i just don't <laughs> i agree with you costner is goaded with the sauce but it's obviously <laughs> has to do with an algorithm that yeah yeah, you know, yeah the peacock yeah. network has done the you know no, like i think that, they know I, how long kevin costner is going to live and what he's going to look like in three years and they're like we need this franchise to live for 15 years. That is not what's... No, I don't think that's... No, that's not what's happening. Kevin Costner is leaving because he wants to do movies and they wouldn't let oh. him. Or they or there wasn't enough time. That's what's happening. Oh. Peacock wants the cost. Peacock wants the bodyguard. And uh, the bodyguard said, I need to get these little checks over here as well. See you later, biggest show on television. I mean, but it's not. That's the thing. It's like, th there's no biggest show on television because they're all the biggest for every week. <laughs> well, you the know? biggest it's show like on television even... is what our our parents and grandparents watch. Whatever NCIS yeah, Miami is yeah, the biggest true. show the on television. The real shit. Yeah. That's how that's how Wilder Valderrama is still living in a bigger house than we'll ever even walk into <laughs> out there out there in Toluca Lake. Wilmer knee deep in pussy right now. Anyway, we do have a guest. We do have a guest today. Um, confirmed uh, Pola check. Excuse me. Confirmed Pola chicks. 
uh, are very excited to talk to Caroline Polachek today on How Long Gone. Her new album, Desire, I Want to Turn Into You, uh, is out now. Um, she's on tour. Uh, I believe she's going to be coming to us from a remote location deep in Germany, which really makes sense uh, for the kind of music yeah. that she makes, which is a nice a nice plus for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't know that she was in Germany. That's sick. Um, but yeah, I think she's kicking off a European tour. Yeah, she's playing uh, Berlin tomorrow, so I'll make sure to give her my tips for the worst city in Europe. I'm, I'm sure she's been there more times than you have. I, I'm <laughs> sure she'll have more fun there than I have. Um, but uh, let's um, let's give her a jingle and uh, and see how it's going. Power just cut in my hotel room. Wait, is this the whole hotel or just my room? What? No, this feels like a Europe thing where maybe your key card fell out of the holder. Is this part of your murder mystery thing that you're always doing, <laughs> Polachak? This isn't that kind of podcast. <laughs> it's a real whodunit. <laughs> oh I mean, it feels like a good omen. It would be weird if this didn't happen. I agree. Also, the irony here is like, as you'll see when the lights come back on, this Berlin hotel I'm in is like, it, might, it looks like it was built by like Nokia or Samsung. Like the aesthetic of every single surface is like Y2K screensaver, <laughs> eight shades of blue in every room. So it's a hotel in Germany. Got it. I mean, I wish I could walk you through it on video, but the bathroom, to, to my memory, I've only been in there once since I checked in with the lights on. I've only been in there once. <laughs> okay. On. So you're not a big, you're not a big showering person. That's fine. I understand. I checked know? in three hours ago. So give me, give me a moment. <laughs> Give me okay, a moment. Okay, I'll give you. I'll give. I'll, I'll give you a um, moment. That's to fine. To be fair, I'm a big showering person, not a big shampooing person, but we can get into that later. Um, oh. So the shower, to my memory, has this glass uh, divider on it, and some kind of like holographic plastic is applied inside the glass. Oh. So as you move, it kind of does like a matrixy effect. Okay. What the fuck? Okay, so you're saying okay, so you're, this sounds. I, I you could be describing your stage show at this point. I'm getting lost, but you're saying I'm. A- I'm actually offended already at this point. I thought it was going to take us longer to get there, but I'm already offended. <laughs> No, no, no. I've just I'm trying to understand because you know I, I was um I was talking to the interior designer Kelly Wurstler and she was talking to me about how it's so crazy what what hotel bathrooms have become how they try to be sexy where it's like I don't want it to be sexy like I don't I don't need the shower to be see through what if there's a new guest you know but you're saying they've applied a holographic treatment what if I have a new guest over and I'm not ready for them to see my privates it's a Noya guest. Das Neue Guest. <laughs> but you're saying they've applied like a treatment for stylistic reasons. Everything in this hotel is applied for stylistic reasons. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, we there's a long running thread on this podcast about my hatred for Berlin, actually. So I wanted to kind of get into it with you <laughs> because I feel like you probably do quite well there and have spent some time. Is that wrong to assume? So you're already setting me up, right? No, um, no. This is this is. A- <laughs> Can you rate Berlin on a Rotten Tomato scale, please? You know, I'm gonna give Berlin a six point five. Okay, all right. You know, because Rotten Tomatoes is a little they're a little harsh, right? Yeah, yeah. They're known for that. Okay, they're, okay. They're known for that. They give it up when it's dope, though. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know what? I stand. I stand by the six point five. Okay. Um, but that's also just because most of my Berlin friends have moved to LA or New York at this point. So the, mm-hmm. the dwindling friend count is influencing my rate, my scoring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, I think that's reasonable. I, I mean, I, I think the people and the way they treated me, um, seemed harsh, but I also, um, look like a big dumb American. So I kind of deserve it sometimes. Fair. You know what I mean? It's good to take accountability. I, I'm big on accountability. Thank you for noticing that. <laughs> <laughs> How many times are we shampooing annually, Polachek? Oh, my God. I can't do math. 
<laughs> I'm a I'm a musician. I can't do math. Twelve months in a year. Twelve months. Are we doing monthly sh- shampoos? I'm gonna I'm gonna go weekly on you. I in an ideal world it would be once a week. <laughs> okay. Ideal. Okay. But well, when I'm doing a lot of shoots or when I'm on tour and like whenever I'm kind of more visible, there's always product in the hair and then that has to be removed. So we climb up to two or even three times per week on the shampooing and I not pro it. Okay, well, I want to talk about dry shampoo uh, <laughs> next because that seems like a popular option among the people of your community that like to shampoo as as you know less frequently than some of us. Um, are you a user or not a user? I'm not a user. I think it's gross. I don't like the texture. But here's the thing. When you don't shampoo as much, you don't, your hair doesn't produce as much oil. So it's like a beautiful feedback loop. I've heard this. Mm-hmm. I've heard I've heard this story before from magazines and other publications. I, I believe it. It makes sense. Mine's more of a disintegration loop because I wash maybe once every month. <laughs> Do you really only shampoo once a month? Yeah, I, sham- I I get a haircut like once a month and I get a that's when I wash my hair right before I get a haircut. I feel like Studies show that men who reference disintegration loops tend to shower less in general. One thousand percent. But I be showering every day though. But I, I have short hair, so it's like not you know whatever. The 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 more I shampoo it, the worse it looks. Yep. You get it. Yeah, yeah, you get it. <laughs> how, well, yep. but the real question is, how often are you getting your hair cut? That's a really good question as well, because I until last last year was the first year of my life I ever had a first my first professional haircut. I would just do it myself blunt cut with scissors which is why i've kind of have always looked like an art teacher until the last year <laughs> i was about to say i was about to say caroline you've been getting too much money for too long to not be hitting david no that's because you you could either go like cuts herself blunt cut once every six months or has to fly to japan to get a haircut it could go either way with you yeah well yeah, i mean yeah, i guess yeah, i kind yeah. of split the difference i found an incredible uh hairstylist who is japanese in london so i you know flew like a quarter of the way there okay I hacked it they're the best yes well let's let's talk about london actually because chris and i are both kind of anglophiles we were just there doing some shows recently you kicked off your tour there and i think you spend a lot of time there have a lot of friends there what makes you an Anglophile? What what draws you so much to those people over there? You know, I just like how everyday life feels in London. I really like just getting into the swing of things and sort of just like dissolving into the city and just feeling like a normal person there um, rather than like going for big events or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. I really like, I mean, a lot of kind of more creaturey things. I love how green it is. I love the combination between like, really old and really new things there. I feel like it positions, you know, both antiquity and futurism sort of in its own particular light. Mm. Um, But I also just love the scene there. Everyone, you know, I love the sort of dry wit and the curiosity and how generally more intellectual and well-read people are in London than America. Yeah, the dry wit and the the fact that you know, like when you just watch like a dumb television show, everyone is so well spoken and yeah, and funny and charming in their own way. I don't know. I, I guess because you kind of have to be there, and not so much in LA. I guess. Yeah, but it's also <laughs> like a cheat. It's a bit of like a cheat for you know people who already speak English to go there because it's such such a different culture. But yet you have kind of access to the, some of the nuances just by already automatically understanding the language. So for me, it makes it a more intriguing relocate international relocation than a country where i couldn't speak the language would be boring answer i I agree completely i feel more it feels more foreign than going to italy in many ways even though they're speaking the same language as me exactly yeah bro so you in in la are you spending time in the valley 
Are you a value chick? I do. I mean, I sort of live right where. Well, I'm not going to get too into it. Uh, I live very close <laughs> you can just, to the valley. You can just drop. You can drop a pin. It's fine. We'll share it with our listeners. I live like right, right where the valley just about begins. So you know, I rehearse in there. I do my shopping there. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the valley. It just feels like it's trapped in amber. Like it's like you know a look at like the 70s and the 80s that you don't get. Yeah, that that's my favorite part about it because it reminds me of growing up in suburbia in Southern California. A lot of those untouched mini malls and shopping centers and things like that. Wh- which Whole Foods do you go to? Are you a Burbank or a Glendale? I'm a uh, I'm a Burbank girl. Burbank. How do you know I shop with the Whole Foods? How do you know I'm a Whole Foods girl? Are you kidding? Lucky guess. I mean, yeah. I mean, really? Is that so weird? <laughs> every every guest that's been on the show shops at Whole Foods. Don't worry. Yeah, there's yeah. No one that sh- listens to the show goes shops at Whole Foods. It's kind of a theme, right? Look, we did this. I asked Whitney from the Hills the same question. It's it's only because I'm I'm at Whole Foods in Burbank all the time as well. I'm surprised we haven't run into each other. That's all. I mean, I'm I hit up the hot bar a lot. Big fan of the hot bar. Chicken tendies. You know, you guys always talk about this location. I find the parking, I don't like parking in a structure. I prefer to park in a lot, <laughs> an open air lot. Why is that? Yeah. Who hurt you, Chris? I, no, I don't know. It just turns me off. It makes it makes everything <laughs> feel like more of a, a to-do, I think, when you have to park like that. It feels like you're going to Ikea instead of going to pick up a bomb-ass smoothie. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It <laughs> really does. It. It, makes, it. it makes it feel more more uh, serious to me, I think. Clinical serious. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I know what you mean. Fair. I also feel like the like the traditional thing of people eyeing each other up in the aisles of the supermarket actually happens in the parking garage. Oh. Um, I, f- I feel like people are really, like really reading each other in the garage in a kind of like almost aggressive way, not like a sexy way. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like yeah, when you're, it- when you're queued up for the club versus when you're inside the club. It's, it's honestly very that. Well, I think, I think in LA that has more to do with the car culture because they're seeing you get out of that non-electric vehicle and they're like, damn, I was going to try to hit, but that car takes gas. <laughs> so like- I can't even, <laughs> No, it's it's honestly even worse than that. Maybe this explains all, but they're like, I see you getting out of that 2006 electric or hybrid vehicle. <laughs> yeah, okay. They okay. know they know how inefficient that car is. You know, you're you're saying the 2006 Prius is worse than a 2022 gas guzzler at this point. It, it's 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 a, you can draw a straight line. The tech is a bug, not a feature at this point, Chris. We all know that. You know, my attentions are good, but the application is lacking. So. Yeah, so I deserve I deserve all the judgment I'm getting. Polachek, when you when you finally come back from tour and you're back in the valley, what's the first restaurant you go to? I'm probably gonna go to Dai Chan first. Have you guys ever been to Dai Chan? No. No. Dai Chan. How how could you spell that for our listeners at home? D-A-I-C-H-A-N. One word, okay. Dai Chan. Got it. It's kind of like the Suan of northern la wait what hold on how the fuck now i'm offended because there used to be a place <laughs> there used to be a place that chris chang would take me to jason like in hollywood that was very much suing Mur- murakami maybe and it closed it closed a while ago but so tell us more what's what's what kind of steamed pumpkin are you getting i'm actually getting like the the, the vegetarian sushi shockingly because it's really good laid out on brown rice all sorts of you know, marinated burdock, okay. mushroom. <laughs> okay, hold on. Ooh. This this might be the this might be the first time burdock has been mentioned on this podcast. Congratulations for that. <laughs> and also, this is good because Chris mainly just lives off of vegetarian sushi, so this is huge for him. Wait, are you trolling? Are you trolling Chris right now, or is that for real? No, no, I swear to God, no. Chris, Chris is basically vegan. Whenever I go get sushi with him, he just I'm I'm ordering like. Let me get the quail, blah, 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 and the live shrimp heads and the uni. And he's like, 
Let me get 11 avocado rolls plain, please. Yeah, I want plain. But no, I mean, I'm forced to go to these high-end sushi restaurants, obviously. <laughs> Poor thing. You've been, I mean, Caroline, we know you, you've been to Nobu a few times in your life, but sometimes, you know, it doesn't hit the same, honestly. <laughs> Once and only in Singapore. I've never been to an American Nobu. No Malibu Nobu? What? I drive a 2006 Prius. I don't know who you guys think I am. I thought you were, I fancied you more a gourmand, that's all. <laughs> no, I didn't. I just assumed Listen. there were some music business vultures <laughs> looking to take you out and buy your publishing, you know? know what i mean i mean to be fair i got some amazing sushi dinners out of publishing meetings but we didn't go to nobu we went to like tiny okay. tiny omakase spots okay sure sure okay now you don't find i am actually i'm not anti omakase but i'm a little bit it takes too long and i i don't have the patience i just get too drunk by the end that's my problem because the food you know it's you're sitting there for three and a half hours mm. getting tiny little like dog treats. I mean, and they're delicious treats. But anyway, yeah, I, I got to work on that. It's like an acquired skill, I'm sure. No, no, it's true though. I, yeah, no, no, you guys, you have to check out Daichan. I think you'll love it. Also, the the other cool thing about Daichan is like, while it has all the sort of health food charm of Suen, the interior is way better. It's like incredibly overhung with very traditional Japanese stuff. Okay. Like dolls, masks. Tapestries, bells, tchotchkes, accoutrements. Because Suen, Suen, I've seen some of the most beautiful women in our world <laughs> battered and bruised from the lighting at Suen. <laughs> like I, like I, it's, it's it's unbelievable. I mean, the it's first time I ever walked into Daichan, I saw Ryan Gosling sitting there. So, oh, okay, so Gosling, okay, okay, a so, challenger appears, Chris. So Gosling, <laughs> Gosling in his skinny jeans and red wings was tucking into some burdock root. That sounds great. I mean, you know, health is wealth. Gosling probably knows that you, you're allowed to eat sushi with your hands. It's totally fine. Are you allowed to? I, I, this is my first time hearing about this. No, no, no. It, it's it, traditional in Japanese culture. It, yeah. is, it is no offense to pick up sushi with your hands instead of chopsticks. I read this like amazing Andy Warhol interview where uh, he sits down for lunch with the interviewer and it took, takes the interviewer to the end of the meal to realize that Andy's been eating salad with his hands the entire interview because he does it so elegantly that they just didn't notice. And I and that was like a big revelation for me. Where I was like, oh, you can get away with all sorts of things as long as you do it elegantly. I think it's a huge flex. It's a massive flex. Maybe it's a generational thing. We don't have the confidence. You know, we've been we've been taught wrong from such a young age. Just an age thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But also when you when you eat salad with your hands. You can really manipulate the lettuces mm -hmm. to fit exactly how you want them to land into your mouth. Well, that's the thing, because if you're eating salad with anything else, it's you're, you know, there's that thing of where you're trying to stuff too much into your mouth, and it's sort of like the bits, hang, you know. I feel like, but you, you have <laughs> I these, can't help myself. You have these like nice, elegant hands with all this jewelry. I stick my nubs in there. It looks, you know, it looks like a dog going for the bowl. It doesn't. It doesn't have the same. <laughs> I don't know if I could pull it off. You need to step up your elegance game, dumbass. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> do you, Caroline? Do you ever check out the your your subreddit, your the Caroline Polachek Reddit forum? Admittedly, only when I'm scared of leaks. Oh, <laughs> because it's, it do it, it do be the closest to you sometimes. You know what I mean? Yeah, and you know, thankfully there are people who are better at screening leaks than I do. But sometimes I just want to get a read. Yeah. And so I just see on Reddit what's what's up. So that's the only real reason. Yeah, I I think I, I think it messes my head too much if I look at those kind of forums, so I just don't really look at it. No, it's it's better that way. I didn't I honestly kind of forget about leaks. It feels like something kind of from like a, a different era, but I also feel like it's it happens 
again i don't know now that everything is so digital it seems like it's even more it's it's probably more of an issue is that fair to say i mean to be honest i have no idea actually because i've only lived now sure <laughs> sure know, sure I, I guess leaks well i guess you'd be okay no no no. i'm gonna i'm gonna i haven't only lived now i lived a whole <laughs> other life before now which was like as a in an indie band in brooklyn and leaks weren't really an issue maybe it was because of like the fandom was way more analog yeah yeah i think it was the playback device because you could I could illegally download a chairlift song and then put it on my iPod and now I'm bumping it versus if I illegally download a song, I can't just like put it on Spotify. I think you're actually making the opposite point because like if downloading culture was like the culture, then that would have made leaks more valuable then than they are now. Well, I was always told that it happened when it went to the plant for CD pressing. <laughs> like I was always told that's like, that was the, that was the, like, that was the, the, the point in which it was open to to stealing back in the day. I mean, I think record labels have planted that myth because they want to take themselves out of the equation. But let's be honest, like, <laughs> the majority of the people who have unreleased content are, of course, at labels. I don't really have a label, so that for me, that's not an issue. Don't don't come for that A and R consultant. He might he didn't leak <laughs> anything. He's just he's just with his kids in New Jersey. He's having fun. I hate A and R's. You know what? But the A and R's intern has an intern, and that guy has an intern as well so yeah you're right you're right and they have a toxic friend who is going to get those mp3s out of you and that friend has a drunk roommate <laughs> i know you, yeah you're telling me i mean i i don't share anything with jason he's my drunk roommate in, kind of cutting so into I have streams. To, yeah exactly so it was and so you, you mentioned not really having a label and that allows you to make an album and then release it like the next week versus a year and a half from now, right? Not only that, but no one tells me what's going on the album and what isn't going on the album. Oh, okay. Oh, no notes. Well, no one tells me what the next single is. Yeah. No yeah. one tells me what I can and cannot make a music video for. No one tells me how much I can spend on it. La that being said, what's our budget for the I Believe remix package? <laughs> I have some thoughts. Interesting. You know, it's it's sliding scale depending on the uh, the strength and you know potential virality of the idea. So of course, you know, off pod. Yeah, send over the send over the stems and we'll just we'll have a look. Even though I just said I hate ANRs, I am trying to ANR your album right now. <laughs> <laughs> but I I hear a song like that and I'm like. Oh, I just, I think of all the amazing people that would remix this into the perfect whatever version of it, you know? Well, shoot, shoot some over. Who, who, who's remixing? I can't think of any right now, of course, but off pod. You know, let me let me hit the bong and really live with it for a, for a few. No, Jason. Jason knows his worth here. He just he he knows ANRing shouldn't be free. You know, it's fine. I get it. We'll go to Daichon, figure it out. You can pay. It's no big deal. <laughs> yeah. My MX is down. <laughs> it's down? I thought you meant it's down like it doesn't work, but you mean it's down like it's when the bill comes. It's on the table. Okay. She's smacking it on what, that table. What does it table. mean to yeah. not have a label? I think this is pretty interesting because I think that people, when you're at a level where you can actually make the decisions yourself and you don't need... There's a, I imagine there's a distributor or there's someone involved that's giving you a budget to do the stuff that you want to do, right? So I'm with this amazing um, company called The Orchard that's not technically a record label. They're what's called a label services program. Mm -hmm. So they handle all my distribution um, and manufacturing and I believe some radio stuff. I'm not actually sure if they're involved in radio <laughs> stuff or not, but um Mookie's over. Mookie's on the line. Like, oh my god. <laughs> Mookie's like, I got you on K Rock. But the cool thing is, you know, at a record label, you're you're traditionally paying for all sorts of stuff like art direction, PR, 
like there's all these like in-house services and I don't want any of them. Right. Um, I just need the stuff released mm-hmm. and that's all they do. Because you can do that stuff yourself and obviously you can do it better. Yeah, I can do it much better. Um, so I started my own record label called Perpetual Novice that is serviced by The Orchard. All right. Now, are you are you planning to put out other people's music or is this just for you? You know, I've actually had some people DM asking if I would release their music, which is a massive compliment. And actually, I, up until that point, I hadn't even considered it. Um, I think it's something I'd like to approach in like 10 years or something. But at the same time, my first question for artists is I'm like, why do you want to be signed? Like, what do you think I can do for you besides post you post you to Maine? You know what I mean? I mean, I should maybe just charge to post to Maine, but like, also, I'm not even that. I'm not even really like that kind of IG girl. Well, I mean, having <laughs> having the cosign on, like, if somebody has grown up just idolizing you and your music, and they think that you're just the next Beatles, and to have you put your stamp of approval on it enough to release it. That could mean the world to somebody. You know, it's funny. I I have a playlist that I religiously maintain. Like every three months, I add three hours of music to it. It's called If You Please. And it's like 21 hours long at this point because I just keep adding and I never take anything out. But every time I post an update, there are kids asking like, oh my God, please add such and such song. And it's not even as if it's by them. It's like by an artist they stand. <laughs> and it's really confusing to me because I'm like, wait, 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 wait. I want to show you music with this playlist. Yeah. It, I don't know. It's It's kind of... A, a wild wake up call to realize that like artists playlists now have actually filled a, a void that music blogs used to fill. They've become a community. Yeah. Or like maybe these cultural touchstones or like kind of hu- hubs, like mini hubs, like frameworks for, for shared tastes that people have and people want their taste to be included in that. And I think all that is actually really beautiful. So yeah, I guess I feel this new kind of responsibility. You, I just feel like you've been doing this for a very long time, so you've had every sort of label situation one could have. You, you I've know? honestly only had two. I signed with Columbia really? while I was still in college, which is crazy. Oh, I assumed there was. I just assumed there was something like before that, but I guess that's how it used to work. You know, I mean, there was about a year before that when I was on this tiny label um, called Canine Records. They gave us $4,000 to make an album. And then when it was done, they realized that rather than promoting it, they could just sell our contract and they'd make way more money doing that. So did they, we were, did they sell it to Columbia? Oh, yeah. And we weren't, we didn't even have a choice either. They, uh, they initiated a bidding war and Columbia won the war. And so we were just passive agents in the whole thing. But the good thing is, you know, at least at that time, our team at Columbia seems to really understand us. Yeah. That was a, that was an era for sure. Columbia was like in that game too. Like that's what they wanted to be. It was a gold rush though. You know, like the, yeah. the Brooklyn indie and we weren't even the first generation, you know, it was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And TV on the radio and grizzly bear. Like they were the first generation. Then I was kind of part of the second one after that. Fucking grizzly bear. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, uh, I mean, <laughs> I mean, even all the way over to like kid Cudi day and night remix, you know, being Indian then getting bought up by a major and the whole thing. Like, Damn that remix. <laughs> do you, have you ever, have you ever clubbed to that remix? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Would you ever go out clubbing for like pleasurable dancing? You know, or do you even have time for that? The funny, I guess I would only do it if in LA, if a friend was DJing, right, 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 or in New York, if it was like a fashion after party, or like 
if I was on tour and just trying to like while out a bit on tour. Yeah. And the hotel you're staying in is like, we have a club. We'll give you a bottle if you come down, you know. Honestly, that's what's it's the unofficial <laughs> Carolyn Polichek after party. They planted that in this conversation. That's exactly, that's exactly how they want to be positioned. We've given in. Like they've just <laughs> won here. Yeah, I know, right? They just won. <laughs> Um, well, you were, you were mentioning your team at Columbia really getting you and and now that you, at the time, but yeah. now that you have reached a level in your career and your success where you really do have a team for everything and you get to kind of choose who those people are and not the label, is there anything that you miss that you kind of still do yourself that you shouldn't be doing <laughs> or like things that you haven't been able to let go and delegate out yet? Grocery shopping, you know, all the stuff that you shouldn't really be doing. <laughs> Are you, you know? still screen printing your own seven <laughs> inches? You know, yeah, yeah, I mean, exactly. <laughs> what you're asking is like a very philosophical question, right? Because I honestly feel like my failure to relinquish so many sides of this project in my mind to my little ego is like why it's good. <laughs> um, but it also slows me down immensely um, compared to how fast other artists could work, you know, um, editing my own music videos, literally slicing up the bits of the welcome to my Island video, for example, had 18 scenes. And the idea was that each one of those scenes could get posted individually as their own reels or TikToks or um or Twitter posts without compromising the integrity of the video at all because there is no narrative the sequences of no significance and the chaos of the jumble is the whole point so no matter how you consume it you're getting the point and I, ironically <laughs> it took people seeing the whole thing until they actually understood what the format was um and I was just rev rev relishing the chaos but anyway hold on well, you're editing it yourself that's insane well each of them was a one shot so tech each one of these okay, scenes was okay, a one shot okay. so technically the edit was very simple but resyncing audio in some of these cases mm. making it so each one is a perfect loop which by the way in the video it was not so it was kind of like you know trimming the heads and tails getting everything just you know like it was 54 pieces of content and i'm sitting there in premiere for like days cutting this stuff up and i could have handed it off but the fact is I know I'm going to be like, no, 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 cut it four frames to the left. The loop's not, the loop's off, the loop's off. Like, I knew I was just going to be that anal about it. So I was like, you know what? I'm just sitting here in my pajamas and doing it myself. Okay. So that's where we're at. I'm, I feel the same way. When I, whenever I edit this podcast, I feel the exact same way. I do all the math and the time in my head. And I think like the amount of time it would take to send this to an editor and then they edit it and then they send it back to me and then I send them notes and the whole thing it'll be faster for me to just do it myself. And then I know that I've done it myself. And I know that any mistake in there is only mine. I also had this revelation while I was working on that project that I think that being in constant notes mode or criticism mode is actually bad for your brain because it makes you scan for mistakes. You know what I mean? It makes your first look at everything be negative yeah. and scanning for mistakes. And it turns your job into playing defense. And I think that's really bad for a creative brain. Damn, bro. You just fucked me up. <laughs> that's good stuff. That's good stuff. I've I think it's bad for you. I think it's bad for you. Yeah, no, I think it is too, but it's also a necessary part of life. So you have to figure out how to live that way. So I think the exercise here is whenever we, when we're scanning and criticizing and we find good, amazing things, then we have to really take the time to praise that. If I'm editing my podcast and Chris makes me laugh, I'm going to give a big belly laugh <laughs> by myself in the room but you know, to like, show it love and respect. I, Jason, I actually think there's like this other secret third way, which is like, Oh God. I heard, <laughs> I heard recently <laughs> about someone who was working for Matthew Barney 
who was saying that they were stunned by his ability to get amazing results out of people, by his ability to give people a lot of creative freedom and a lot of trust and yet get results consistently from his team that were exactly what he wanted. Mm -hmm. And when I heard that, I was like, all right, he's on some like John D shit. He's like, this is like alchemy. Right. And I think first of all, it takes like you being farther enough, far enough into your career that so much context is given ahead of the assignment. You know, obviously that yeah. helps a lot, but And you have the financial resources to create your dream team. Yes. But I think faith itself is like a really creative force and a very inspiring one. So when you're working with someone, you you have a lot of faith in them and in their process and in their mind, they do better stuff. So for me, that's even more than like quote unquote delegating and giving notes. Like that's for me where I'm trying to go is like only working with people I think are geniuses and having a lot of faith in what they're going to do. No, no, that's and and also I th- you know like you were saying before you know I I think that I'll be the best at doing this or whatever like I want to do this myself so I know knowing that there's a chance that somebody out there is better at doing this than you are which is a tough pill to swallow sometimes no 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 that's wonderful <laughs> that's not a tough pill to swallow at all it's like if you're better at them please do it please i haven't met anyone better than me is the problem but if that does ever happen oh man i don't i don't mean to burst both of your <laughs> bubbles that there are people better than both of you at some things i just want to let you guys let you guys know that thank and thank god for it thank bro god. i needed to hear that today caroline i don't know what your three-pointer looks like but i guarantee you there's somebody that's that's doing it a little better than you and jason i can't even count the things that people are better at than you wait what's a three-pointer exactly <laughs> like a basketball shot that's where it's three a basketball shot that, yeah, yeah all right yeah. all right all right all right <laughs> is it supposed to be like the thing you're really good at um it's a it's like a considered to be a sniper style like you're if you're really good at that you're kind of like a go-to you know it's an important factor because it's worth you know, it's worth most most baskets are two points. This one is worth one more point, so it's obviously valuable. Okay, okay, okay. Did you grow up playing soccer as a as a child, Polachek? What do you think? Yes, <laughs> I think I played it like re- like really resentfully as like a ten year old, <laughs> and haven't played it since. Okay, okay. Walk us through like a fourteen to fifteen year old Caroline uh, in Connecticut. What's going on? Okay, you picked you picked the most like pivotal years of my life or like in terms of my changing well 15 years old i was like significantly uh i was a very late bloomer so when i was age 14 i looked like a child and then between 14 and 15 i like turned into a jessica rabbit mode (laughs) va va boom i mean i'm still waiting for that to happen it could happen (laughs) i'm still waiting yeah Yeah, i'm blowing out i'm blowing out these birthday candles you know um (laughs) But, uh, okay. and that was like, you know, that like helped my confidence, confidence so much. Cause like, I didn't have boobs. I didn't have much of a social life. Um, and then suddenly I was 15 and got a lot more attention. But the funny thing is that point, at that point I was very like, bitter is the wrong word, but I was like, all right, I see how you guys treated me last year. Like I see right <laughs> you guys, I know who the real ones are. Uh-huh. And I was just counting my days to get out, get out of suburban Connecticut and go to college. But, um, 
But at uh, 14 to 15, I started playing in new, in new metal bands. I was playing in two new metal bands. Mm. What? One was called Valence, and the other was called So It Goes. And I can tell you these band names because none of the music ended up online, and it never will. <laughs> yeah, that's why you don't check Reddit. That's what you're afraid of seeing. That's what you're afraid of seeing, the promo shot of Valence. I mean, imagine. I mean, I probably looked pretty cool. What kind? But when you say new metal, are you are you saying like during that, because that was probably the boom of that genre? Is this- yeah, who are some of your influences then, Sl- Slipknot? No, 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 no. We were way classier. We were like more into the vaporous stuff like Deftones and 311. Um, Okay, you know what? I'm going to stop you right there. I'm going (laughs) to stop you right there, Caroline, because I would love to hear your opinion on this. As a person, Jason and I both grew up like listening to punk and hardcore and like it was, you know, it was a very important, informative uh, time in our lives. But a lot of people that I respect musically, personally, um, they like the Deftones. And when I was growing up, the Deftones was like corny shit. Like this is like corny radio version of like what we like. And I'm very confused as to this revisionist history of the Deftones being cool. It's only revisionist for you, though, Chris. Yeah, I was gonna say in this house, it's it's never there's never been any looking back. <laughs> in this house, all right, we'll poll everyone in this German hotel room and see how they feel about the Deftones. We were giving them a pass back in in 1997, Chris. We were like, even though even if this is whatever cheesy stuff, like. It's just too. Mm, it's just hitting me. But I don't even think. I don't even think it's. I don't even think it's cheesy. That's the thing. I just don't think it's very good. Mm. I just don't understand. I, I just don't get it. But maybe you, you have, have bad to, taste. That's it. I don't think I do. Okay. All right. That's fine. Um. <laughs> well, that's fine. I'll take the L on this. But I'm asking you. But that kind of like loud, soft vibe. And I don't. And the artwork is bad. I don't know. I, I, I'm sorry. The, the I horse. I so deeply artwork. disagree with you on everything you just <laughs> said. And I will. I will use the rest of this podcast to talk about that. <laughs> talk your shit, girl. Talk your shit. Go off. See, in my off. mind, Deftones were the only tasteful new metal band, and it's because they didn't give in to aesthetics. Yeah. It's because they didn't do a corn, they didn't do a limp biscuit. They If you're comparing them to Limp Biscuit, of course they're good. But that I- shit was like Peter Saville compared to everything else. <laughs> <laughs> like and and it holds up. It still it still feels so hard and so implacable somehow. But yeah, those Deftones are still just dot guys wearing dickies and hoodies. Yeah. And all the other bands that were their contemporaries are doing like fucked up crazy shit. Just like over the top theatrics, super cheesy. And that's what was cool about the Deftones was because they always made it very clear that 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 kind of theater wasn't where they lived. That like that was just the packaging. And they were almost very self-aware in being in keeping it flat and then making sure that the music, at least in my mind, but the music, like the they they have something so like anemic mm. about their sound. Like it's so surfacy in the high end. And then like there's so much angst in all the melodies and all the dissonance and all the tone bending that Chino Moreno does. Like he influenced me so much as a singer. And you can and the thing is, like at the time I just thought what they were doing was just really kind of like gestural and like they weren't thinking about it. But now it's so clear when I listen to that stuff that like he's actually in a kind of secret way, kind of a jazz singer, like what he's doing with like dissonance and like atonal stuff. And they have such a strong vision in terms of like, it wasn't like they were jumping around and trying a lot of production styles. Like they knew exactly what they wanted, which was this really very Californian, very silvery, very anemic, intentionally hollow, bleak, 
deeply poetic, very horny. I don't know. I'm, I'm here for it. I'm here. Okay, for I it. think what I'm understanding now from that um, <laughs> impassioned defense, uh, you you can rest your case. Uh, Thank you. I, I think that the I think what's happening is I I mean I will never go listen to this, but I think what I, what I'm understanding is I was trying to compare it to stuff that was like genuinely underground. Whereas when you compare it to who their actual contemporaries were, it is a hundred percent better. It's it's a different it's a different sport they're playing. They're they're knocking horns with the PODs of the world, Chris. It's a whole other stratosphere. Yeah, no, that's true. It's yeah, true. but yeah, you were right about the, the the horniness of it. Like it's the only band of that style that you could like hear at a strip club and see a beautiful kind of elegant FKA Twig style pole dance to any number of Deftone songs and it'll work perfectly. Yes. And I don't think you can get that with any other band like that. And no one's going to laugh. No one's going to no laugh. Gonna laugh. You put on any no. other. And you put on a new a lot of other new metal at a strip club and it will feel like ironic. Yeah. Or like someone might laugh. No one's laughing at Deftones. They're trying to conceal their erections instead of laughing. And you know what? That's hard work. <laughs> Erections. It's hard work. I hear. I hear. Now I know who's driving the price up on all these fucking Deftone shirts. It's 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 Polacek spending her advance. Imagine. Polacek, how <laughs> how often do you I mean, it seems like you kind of have like a friend group that's a very similar group of people. Everyone is interesting and artistic and otherworldly and you kind of have like your own frequency it seems like. How often do you let new people into your inner circle? I'm really curious who you're talking about. I don't know, just the girlies, you know, just your, your artistic people that you work with. It seems like you're just like in a different zone or a different frequency kind of hovering above everyone else in the world right now. Uh, I mean, I'll take that as a compliment. I'll put it in a more simple way. It's freaks only over there. And Jason's wondering if any normies ever break through that, that, that third I mean, wall. You know what I mean? I guess I don't feel as if I'm in like a closed circle. I'm pretty nomadic. I'm bouncing around all the time between LA and New York and London. And it does, it does feel like, you know, we're on a circuit, like, and depending on who's in what city at what time you get to catch up yeah. with different friends. And I really get off on introducing people like during the, during the pandemic, I was in London for a year and a half. And I kind of felt like I had a, a ticket as an American to put different combinations of people from wildly different scenes in London in a room together without being sort of judged socially for it. Cause I'm a sort of outsider. And so I was introducing people with like 20 year age spans um, or like across different industries. And um, yeah, I just really get off on like on those kind of introductions and mashes, but okay, I don't know, I guess if you're defining people, uh, normies as, people who yeah i might not even mean entering your physical <laughs> circles but maybe more of your you know your intellectual or spiritual or whatever you know well all right i mean i'm just gonna be an asshole and just say it but like if, if we're talking sure. about like normies of people who are like really nice but like don't really have anything bigger to say or do in terms of engaging with the world culturally yeah. uh or, you know, scientifically or politically, whatever. You're good. I'm probably not that interested. You're good. I'm probably good. Like, there are a lot of nice people, but I'm not particularly interested in people because they're nice. Uh, I agree. Somet sometimes nice isn't enough. That's, yeah. what, that's my motto. Any loser can be nice. No, exactly. Exactly. I think, Jason, I think what Jason is saying, do you have room in your social circle for a six foot nine <laughs> podcaster that lives in Glendale and does 
and does dabble in the dark arts himself. Wait, Chris, I thought we're already friends. No, yeah, you are, but I think that it's I think it's it has to be solidified with a meal. You know what I mean for Jason? He's food is his love language. So it's like I think that that's just something to keep in mind during this friend courtship. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Ruin a die chan. Do you um you said you get off on introducing people do you have you ever put together a seating chart for a dinner party? I have actually, yeah. I think seating charts are so important and like speak on that, sister. And and merciful <laughs> because there's nothing more awkward than when you show up at a dinner and there's no seating chart because it becomes so uh you can offend people so easily. It's true. Or you can get or you can get stranded so easily and then have a bad time. So I don't know. I think it's actually very irresponsible to not do a seating chart. I agree. And sometimes you can be stranded alone and it, for no no fault of anyone, just the way the cards lay and and you're fucking up a lot of people's nights. Are you the type of person that likes to separate couples in a seating chart or do you put them together? Well, isn't there a traditional rule that if they've been together for more than a year, you separate them? Oh, I've never heard that, but that tracks. I didn't. You really are a master of introduction. I didn't know that fact. Apparently, I mean, I've heard that's the traditional rule, but honestly, it just depends on the linking. You know, if that couple only, each only have one other social link there, I'll probably sit them together and then link on either side. You know what I mean? Do you think there should be someone in the middle of the dinner table that's sort of the maestro of the evening? And is that person ever you? I like putting the maestros at the edges because if you don't like activate the edges of the table, you're going to get all the conversation. You're going to get one conversation in the middle of the table and then dead ends. And you want there to be like two, Damn. depending on how many people, two or more conversations. No, it's a singularity. It's the we're the energy is ping ponging. I get it. It's amazing. Uh, exactly. <laughs> I've also heard that six people is the perfect amount for a dinner party, and I because that's like a, that's one conversation at six people. And the second you go over six people, you're looking at multiple conversations, and it starts getting awkward. So you either do six or you do like ten plus. But anything in the middle is a little a little weird. Damn. Once the once the music career trickles off, you really do have a future in event planning and coordination, I think. Let's go. Let's go. It's my backup plan. Let's fucking go. I could see you with a headset making sure the dinner's going well, you know, checking on everyone. I actually do think there's like a big uh, hole in the market for like cool wedding planners. I agree with that. The wedding industrial complex throws off so much money that there there is there's there's gotta be some there's gotta be someone. I cool. think it's a dangerous water to swim in. I think people know that there's a lot of money to be made and if you come in trying to go hard the wedding industry and they're going to put the kibosh down on you mm -hmm. how much yelling can you take from a mother you know how much <laughs> will you cry if a mother yells at you can oh, you handle it i didn't say i didn't say i could handle any of it i just said there's a hole in the market there, okay all right i'm not feeling that hole <laughs> Fuck no. I'm, I'm busy bro leave me alone i don't need a new job relax has anyone ever had one of your songs be like the father-daughter dance at a wedding before or like a first dance have you seen that god i mean i don't think i make sentimental enough music for that you wouldn't be able to emotionally handle that even if you did see a video of it on TikTok. I, you know, I feel like I have seen some goofy wedding dances with uh, So Hot You're Hurting My Feelings. Oh, like a flash mob. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I forget the context now, but I think that I think that song has made it into a few weddings. Like somebody, what's the movie, the rom com where the, the band's playing the Beatles song at the wedding and then like the live, in, the live players? Maybe you guys don't know, but. I'm imagining that happening at a wedding and somebody pops out and they're playing like a theremin or, you know, all the, 
some more ethereal instrumentation. I don't know. I think I think Jason, you are that wedding planner that we need to see in the world. Places. He's a he's a known a producer of events. So just you know, these are just a wedding would be a little more high end and a little more. Yeah, I'm actually getting married in June, and <gasps> I have congrats, grazie, grazie. It is in Tuscana, of course, but I have to oh. DJ my own. I'm DJing my own wedding. What do you mean you have to? What do you mean you have to? Diplo's in a because I can't afford Diplo. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, because the I can't afford a DJ that I would really want to DJ my wedding, and I can't just hire a random local wedding DJ and you know hope that it works out. So I'm going to make a four hour long wedding playlist on Ableton. Nice, you know, like basically like DJ them jeans. This is your life in music. Mm. Like this is my wait. That's so smart, actually, because every like every couple always has that so those songs they want played anyway. Mm -hmm. And also, no one wants to look at a wedding DJ. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So why why bother? And I know exactly how long the songs need to la play you're, for. You're gonna put that Robin song exactly in the right place, and people are gonna lose their fucking minds, man. It's gonna be <laughs> sick. Wait, call your girlfriend? No, no. The one is that the one? Is well, that the it's one call your girlfriend or dancing on my own dancing we, on my those own those are those are single both of which single girl thematically, anthems, not wedding girl anthems no thematically terrible songs those are guys like <laughs> i i haven't been to, i haven't been to a wedding in 10 years that hasn't played dancing on my own because it's a great song to get people pumped up yeah i guess there are other people at the wedding who are single and need to get fucked so <laughs> yeah. you put on some of those robin exactly songs you just put on a robin song to, okay i mean it's a classic it's just such an upbeat it's weird it's fully crossed over into like Every normal person knows that song and gets excited when they hear it come on. It's canon. It's totally it's, canon. It's in the uh, I Follow Rivers Magician remix canon. Yes, yes. Any wedding. Yeah, I don't exactly. care where you are. From Croatia <laughs> to Kentucky. I feel like the EDM Summertime Sadness remix is in there as well. Ooh. Oh, God. In that same playlist. Oh, God. Are you are you a Lana head? You know you know the one I'm talking Of course I am. I love Lana. All right. What is your... Love. Have you met her? Do you guys have a relationship? Yeah. I mean, weirdly, I met her before Lana Del Rey even existed. I met Lana when she was still Lizzie. Yes, yes. And we've we've crossed flight paths, you know, very kind of randomly and occasionally. We're not close. We're not close. I I just see her around sometimes, and I really admire her. If you see her at the airport, you'll give a little fist bump and keep it moving. But we're not gonna kiki for an hour. I can't even imagine Lana ever even being visible at an airport. I I totally <laughs> agree with you, and I feel like because of her new what she's doing right now, she's definitely flying commercial you know she's united she's flying united and sitting in the back of the plane because that's like part of the she's thing. in a greyhound she's in a greyhound bus she's in a greyhound with a gun in her purse she's not going through security she wouldn't get there who knows yeah, if she's in her bag like she's not getting through security that's a good point damn that's a really good point so lana's taking the I have greyhound human remains in my bag i can't go through yeah, TSA. Exactly. No I, I brought some stuff from tulsa that you guys don't want to see yeah I, I i could never imagine seeing her in an airport i've only seen her at tenants of the trees and that sort of makes perfect sense unfortunately yeah, that's the stuff in her bag that she can have at tenants and not going through TSA. <laughs> exactly. It's the same. It's Say the less, same queen. exact stuff. Um, I guess lastly, Chris, should we do sync talk with our with our musical guest? Well, she's she's got a legendary sync though, so it's a little bit like mm. that bought the first and the second house, but we'd love to talk <laughs> more about about Yeah, we have we have a segment on the show whenever we have musicians on. Well, I know um, what sync talk is. I know what sync talk is. <laughs> knows. Okay. Okay. Polachek knows. All right, so let's talk. I mean let's talk biggest biggest one that that blew your mind and then maybe something you you missed out on that you regret to this day that you said no and you're like i probably should have said yes i mean this is gonna sound really embarrassing 
I actually don't remember how much I've ever been paid for any sync except for that first <laughs> Apple one. These, these things like show up in my email and I just say, yeah, whatever. Yes. And then I never think about it again. And I also don't yeah. watch, I don't watch TV. So I don't never even get oh, reminded of when they appear in the world. So you, so you didn't know that so hot you're hurting my feelings was on real housewives of Potomac. That's crazy <laughs> to me. I mean, I didn't, no one told you that. See, that's crazy. I mean, that's, I just don't believe it. See, I didn't even, I didn't, I, and you're, and you're actually trolling <laughs> me right it. now, but the thing is I, I just it was believable. I okay, just, well then if you don't And I probably I probably shouldn't even say this, but I just will pro- probably just say yes and and forget about it. Yeah. So No, that's that's the cooler that's the coolest possible way. The answer do. is yes. Okay, since you don't know the amount of any of those sinks, how much did you get for Apple? <laughs> the Apple one was <laughs> probably like exactly what they should have paid a completely unknown band who'd never released anything. We were paid 30k for that Apple ad. <laughs> 2008. Chris Chris is over here being like, let me be your manager. In hindsight, obviously, that was, no, 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 no. That was nothing. But bro, I got a major label record deal off that, off that, my whole career. I wouldn't be sitting here right now if that sync. Yeah, no, that's true. It was one of those things where like, we're only going to give you 30K, but it's going to be great exposure. And they're actually right. No, no, no. Well, not only that, they said we're going to give you 30K. And at the time, I'd never been paid anything more than like $10 an hour at an art (laughs) studio assistance job. So I was like, gagging on it also beyond that you know i didn't feel like my band was even a real band that would even exist in a couple years you know so this was all like was this before was this Mm -hmm. before or after the feist one two three four it was after and it was immediately after as well so i think okay the cultural positioning of it i think people you know made a big deal out of it as if we were going to have that same experience yeah 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 they had over that the the guys over at Apple had a nice proof of concept for you when they were when they were lowballing you a thirty k after Feist. I mean, I think if you heard the story of how it happened, it would make more sense. So I was touring out of a, out of a van, out of like a tiny, you know, little shitty minivan, playing. You know, I played my first LA show ever to I think five people at two p.m. at Silver Lake Lounge. Oh, um, we had booked we had booked our own tour. We only existed on MySpace. We had no music released anywhere else. And had booked ourselves a tour just through messaging people. Got in the van. Didn't even really have hotels booked. We would literally beg people at the merch booth to let us stay over at their house, which in hindsight was maybe the most dangerous thing I've ever done in my life. It's quite dangerous, yeah. Um, <laughs> it was a simple Incredibly time. stupid. Yeah, I was like 20, 21 years old. Um, but that's how it works. I mean, that's that's how it worked. You know, that's what everybody did at the time. Of course, of course. And um this girl bought our demo CD, which we were selling at our merch booth for $1. You know, I'd literally sit in the van burning CDs with, <laughs> with a typewriter. I would type out the name of each song on paper, cut it out, put it in the demo, sell it for $1, <sighs> five songs on it. And the fun thing is like from day to day, I'd change which songs were on it. So I'd just be like, oh, I'm for putting these five. And we called it, we called it the quote unquote daylight savings EP, but there's like a thousand versions of that EP, all with different cover <laughs> art, different, you know, anyone shout out to anyone who actually still might have one. Um, but this girl who bought it, her boyfriend has that radio show in LA, Morning Becomes Eclectic. Oh, and he played, okay. Jason Bentley. Jason Bentley. And he played, he played our early demo of Bruises on his radio show. And someone at Apple was tuned in, driving in his car and heard it. Fucking and Bentley. found us and licensed. And we got a contract, you know, like proposed to us to be in some kind of Apple thing. Mm-hmm. We didn't think of any, any of it was like real or going to happen. Signed the contract. And then 
like two months later, got a call from our manager who was a waitress at a diner um, and had no no prior management experience being like, the ad's out. It's happened. Um, you're getting paid. And I remember running to the computer lab uh, at, wow. at at college and looking looking at it on one of those, you know, Apple Mac, early Mac, the round ones. Yeah, yeah. And seeing this ad and just being really perplexed, like not really understanding what this meant. Um, and then there was suddenly like universal in Columbia, like fighting it out to sign us. So anyway, bizarre, that's, really that's bizarre. Great. but my point is at the time we weren't worth any more than 30 K. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, I think that's a good attitude to have. And I think it is, you're right though. Like there's, there's a value there that's, that's not monetary. So you have to kind of, you have to look at And you don't really have a, a leg to stand on in negotiations. If you're like, you know what, I want 300 K and they're like, cool. There's a million bands that will choose instead of you. I mean, there are bands who would literally pay 30K or more mm -hmm. now for that same opportunity. So yeah, yeah. who knows? I, I, I'm very lucky. Although, you know, spent the next 10 years fighting back against the reputation that earned us. So it's a yin yang. Uh, well, I think you're you're all good now. You've won that battle and, and now here you are. <laughs> I wanted to ask quickly, quickly before we go, did, did you get prepped for this show by by anyone by charlie or anyone or did you go into this raw i listened to your 1975 app and i listened which was very chaotic and i loved it um although it was very bro-y i was like oh wow okay can i can i go this bro with you guys and then i also listened to your charlie app which was great okay okay i just i i just like to i wonder if because if, some people ask their friends some people just listen and do the homework it's, it's usually one or the other thank you for taking the time to do the work though yeah thank you thank you for doing the work caroline you know what? It was a pleasure, and I look forward to doing more of that work all the time. God bless. There, you, there you go. That's it. yeah. You do have you do have an album to promote, so that's a good attitude to have. Uh, thank you for um, thank you for coming on the show. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you guys so much. 